Good morning, everybody. Last time I was here, I believe it was about a couple of years ago, uh, we were commissioning uh, your new pastors. Um, I'm a good friend with Pastor Mars Lomka, and Vincent Loris are just a huge blessing. Um, so uh, I was their supervisor when we appointed them here. So um, uh, a lot of things have changed, but good news is Jesus is still the awesome God that he's always been, and he loves this church. He loves San Diego. He loves each one of you, and it is a joy for me uh, to be here back at Faith after uh, all this time. I, I, as, as Kevin said, it was a few years as a supervisor, and now uh, God called me to Nashville, Tennessee. How many of you love Nashville? You know, the country stuff and the Christians. Okay, okay. I'm in a good place then. Uh, I've been lucky. I lived, God called me to Hawaii. I was there for 14 years, then Southern California for five years, and now Nashville until who knows when. Kind of like God's favor is upon my life. Hawaii, Southern California, Nashville. I mean, it's pretty, pretty fun. But um, as, as your pastors are taking a well-deserved rest and some uh, well-deserved time off, they asked me to come and, and share a word. Uh, a word in the, um, they, heard, they heard before, I preached this message before, and they felt then um, the, the Holy Spirit wanted to bring this to this beautiful congregation. So I, what I would love to do is before we start, can we just have a word of prayer and ask the Lord's uh, a blessing over your hearts, then God will open our hearts, our minds to receive what he has for us this morning. Is that okay? Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your grace, for your goodness, uh, for your presence in this beautiful place, Lord God, in this beautiful city. Father, we pray that right now as we open the scriptures, you will speak to our hearts, you will open our minds, uh, that you will allow, Lord God, your words to bring healing in our souls, Lord God, to, to see the gospel, Lord, just flourishing in our own lives, Lord. And we pray a blessing for ourselves, for the person sitting next to us, Father, for those that are not here, then somehow we'll see this, this message on, 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 online, Lord. We pray a blessing as they receive the word of the Lord for them in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, um, I, like I said before, um, I, I have a very special place in my heart for this church. You have wonderful people. And now then, uh, Kevin is here, uh, you know, on staff and, and serving with you is... is you have a treasure in, in Kevin and Brenda. Their, their family is just precious, and uh, it's awesome to see them serving here, thriving here, blossoming here. Um, you guys uh, are really, really, really blessed. Um, I, I love about faith, even when uh, Pastor Mark was pastor here, uh, how always been a, a, a desire to, uh, for the church to always grow, to grow spiritually. Many churches kind of get stuck. Uh, so for the, the people in the churches going to church on Sundays, that's the deal. It's a tradition. It's a thing. Uh, I moved to Nashville with that, but everybody does. Uh, but, um, uh, but it's so awesome to see how uh, the, the new leadership wants to continue um, uh, bringing to you the full side of the gospel, the, the reality that we live in a broken world, and Jesus is the hope. And, and Jesus is the one that brings healing to our souls, healing to our bodies, and yes, healing to our society. Now, uh, I'm aware that all of us here come from different backgrounds. Um, I mean, we have time to go and share what is your background. Many of you will say, yeah, some of you are in the nonprofit sector. Some of you are in the business world. 
Some of you are educators, some of you are employees, some of you are uh, employers. Some, I mean, the, 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 there's a huge variety of people here, but all of us, all of us, we can agree in one thing, even those of you that are at home and staying, staying parents at home, we can all agree on one thing. Regardless of our context, we can see a common trend that is affecting every single one of us across the board is the evidence of low emotional health. Uh, we see it everywhere. Our society is not really catching up with uh, crisis after crisis that culture goes through. And once we get a, a hold of something, a new thing happens. And, and I would say our society has been traumatized over and over, you know, especially here in the U.S. with so many things. I mean, we can go back just a few years ago. Let's say start with... Uh, 9-11. I mean, the last 22 years have been just uh, crazy stuff after crazy stuff. Um, and, uh, and we can see our society um, is, 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 there's an evidence uh, of low emotional maturity. Simply put, our culture is not adequate helping people to process life uh, situations, especially crises, in an appropriate way. And as a, as, a, as a consequence, we can see it all over. Uh, our relationships are not better. Um, uh, we see a lot of um, uh, uh, deterioration in our relationships, high levels of isolation. Um, we have all these gadgets and things to make our lives easier, but actually we're getting even more and more by ourselves. There's, uh, there's, a, 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 there's a lot of concerns of what that is doing to our souls. Um, there's high levels of depression, more than ever recorded in history, anxiety, other mental disorders are coming out of that as, as those things get uh, worse and worse. And furthermore, we don't know how to talk, to be quite honest, we don't know how to talk to people that have opposite views anymore. I mean, we, we don't. We lost a sense of how we, we, we're not taught how to do that. We don't practice how to do that. Uh, and, and, and our society has become more divisive and extremely polarized. I don't need to tell you about that. You all know that. You live that uh, where you're at. Um, and the truth is people are in pain. People are in pain. Um, Christians and non-Christians. Those that go to church, those that uh, do not go to church. I mean, everybody. Not knowing, they don't know how to deal with suffering. They don't know how to deal with the difficult things that they're going through, with the adversity that they're going through. It's rare to find emotionally healthy people nowadays. Unless you come to this church. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's why I commend you. I commend pastors here, the leaders here, Vincent, Larissa, and, and everybody here. Because I'm aware of the journey that you've been taking as a church to become emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy, relationally healthy. And there's amazing, it's amazing thing what God does, because that's the message of the gospel, is restoration of our entire lives, including our souls, including the way that we process life circumstances, especially those situations in our uh, very difficult, Ad, uh, the crisis is in our lives. So uh, I know that you're in this journey. I know that you're going to continue this journey. And um, it is a difficult journey because uh, you are constantly um, uh, encouraged. And sometimes, actually, sometimes we don't want to be encouraged to face 
our own responsibility in the way then we get better. And even though we trust God and do a lot of work in our lives, there's a responsibility that we need to take. And um, sometimes people don't like that. Um, but uh, with the help of God, uh, as more of you embrace that uh, reality and, and, and trust the Lord, you will see this is what I, I believe we have hope. Now, you will say, well, Fernando, this is a pretty way, like, down way to start a sermon on Sunday. Come on. I mean, all this crisis. Actually, the introduction is actually full of reality, but also full of good news. Everybody say, we have good news. We have good news. And the good news is that regardless of the emotional health crisis in our society, there is hope because a small group of people like you are willing to make things different. Think about it. When the church started, it was a small group of people. They knew that they had something that the world needed. And they invested in it. And God blesses it. And they blessed the entire world. I think we are in those days again. When followers of Christ are becoming really the salt of the earth. The ones that are going to be able to bring something that everybody needs and wants which is really peace in their souls. And I believe as you find peace for yourself and you experience the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding, you're going to be able to bless the world with that peace. So I commend you, uh, faith community, for, for taking uh, uh, with seriousness that part of the journey. So uh, the gospel of Jesus is still the unbeatable power of God to save us and all of us who follow Jesus and we have this great opportunity to shine the light of Jesus brighter than ever before in our lifetime. So uh, if we, the church of Jesus, become emotionally healthy, I believe uh, we're going to see a much better world around us. So let's talk about how to suffer well. And, um, and as you can see on the screen, this is a, is a message that, again, your pastors heard me delivering before to a, a group of pastors, and they felt we, we really believe that this should be here in, in our church. And, um, um, but as we talk about suffering well, we all know that suffering is part of life. Uh, and uh, we're going to start right there with uh, John 16. And let's going to read this verse all together. Uh, John 16, verse 33. All together. Ready? Go. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart. Because I have overcome the world. Notice that he says, you probably have or you may have. doesn't say that. Jesus himself says, you will have. Life is hard. Life is tough. Which kind of contradicts what a lot of people say in the Christian message is. That, oh, when you follow Christ, everything is, you know, like so beautiful. And you never suffer. And things are so good. And... No, when you follow Christ, you will face... The, Jesus himself said it. You will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart. Be of good courage, another in, uh, translation says. Be happy about that, because I have overcome the world. What does that mean? Well, in order to see what that means, you know, we have to understand that we're not immune to the hard times uh, uh, that we're going to face. And if we all are going to suffer like Jesus said, if we're going to all go through difficulties, we want to do it the right way, not the unhealthy way. Because all of us can respond to difficulties on an unhealthy way 
or in a healthy way. And I don't know about you, but I want to respond in a healthy way. And I think that's why the church is really gearing um, uh, a lot of their mission towards discipling people towards becoming emotionally healthy. Now, to suffer well is to understand that the purpose of our suffering is this. Right here in your notes, you can write this. The purpose of our suffering is to transform us into the masterpiece God has envisioned in his perfect will. So we can do the good things he planned for us a long time ago. When God looks at each one of us, when God looks at each one of you, he doesn't see what we are right now. He sees a beautiful, the the word is a poem, a masterpiece. Now, some of you, when you look in the mirror, are like, hey, God, you still have a lot of work to do, right? But (laughs) no, it's really... More than just the physical appearance is the reflection of Jesus in each one of us. And we can learn how to suffer well. And the best place in the scriptures, I believe, to learn how to suffer well by modeling what Christ did is at the Garden of Gethsemane. And you probably have heard the story many times. We're going to camp in this story. We're going to be in Matthew 26. But before we read, let me give you the context. If you remember the story of the last days of Jesus... He is having the Last Supper, and all his disciples are there. They're eating, and uh, what is interesting about, the, the, uh, about that night is the last night, and Jesus is with his disciples. Tensions are really high, because this is now when Jesus says, somebody, one of you is going to betray me, and everybody's like, what? So it's like, it's not an easy, it's very uncomfortable to be there. Who is it? And, and, and Jesus points out at Judas, and, and he knows that he's about to be betrayed and arrested, which starts all a chain of events that led what we know to Jesus' death. Now, Jesus and the disciples, after they eating, they're going to go and pray to a place, a very special place that they used to go all the time to pray. But before they do that, they sing a song. That's what this, the, the Bible says. They sang a song, and then they head towards this garden. So let's pick up the story here in verse 36. And uh, I'm going to have it here on the screen so you can follow as well. Let's see. Here we go. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. Not the olive grove, the restaurant, okay? The olive grove, you know, know, but a yard, a a nice backyard, a, a big field of olive trees called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. So he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became... Anguish. Everybody say anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed. Everybody say crushed. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. So he went on a little further and bowed. Uh, I'm sorry, I need to keep going here because I have a different. He went a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father If it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Let's read all together the last phrase. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. We're going to talk about that in in a minute. Then he returned to the disciples, and he found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time 
He went back to pray. My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, let your will be done. Then he returned to them again. He found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's great that the battery... Oh, there we go. There we go. I think the battery is dying. Am I? Okay. We're going to see if we can have two, two AAA batteries, I think. Otherwise, we're going to have to do it. Click, click, click. Can you go back to the one before that? I love it when technical difficulties happen, right? The trial that Jesus warns us about. <laughs> there you go. Oh. oh, he's looking for batteries in the back. Oh, okay, that's cool. So we got the picture. Now let's look at the importance of this. Uh, I'm going to keep trying to say, okay, somehow he's, he's working. Sometimes he does. He has his own character, personality. He's good. Let's look at the massive importance of this garden. Because um, as we know, there's two garden stories, right? Think about it. Can you click the next one? And, and there's two gardens, uh, uh, the Garden of Eden and the Garden of Gethsemane. We know those, those stories in the Bible. And one, the next slide. Garden of Eden, the word Eden means pleasure. And Gethsemane means oil press. So what is the relationship there? Well, if you look at the next slide, you is interesting. In, in, in the Garden of Eden or pleasure, Adam had joy and peace, right? And uh, with life ahead of him. And he chose his own will over the Father's will. That's what happens in the Garden of Eden. Now, the Garden of Gethsemane is completely the opposite. Jesus suffered. Thank you, buddy. I'll take care of it. So Jesus suffered there. He, we read it, agony and distress. Right? And then with death ahead of him. You see, it's the op complete opposite. And he chose the Father's will three times over his own will. Do you see the difference here? Is Jesus trying to restore something? Absolutely. He does. Let's see if it works. Yeah! It's working. A little temporary. There you go. So this is an oil press. Um, you know, it's actually two stones. We have a, a stone in the ground, and it has a little uh, dip on it. That's where you would put the olives there that you collect. And then the top stone is the rolling stone, not like the, the rock band, but the, a different kind of rolling stone. And, and, the, and somebody or with the assistance of a donkey or whatever, they will move the stone, and they will crush the olives, and, and that's pressure that you create between the two stones. That's what crushed the olives to uh, be able to get oil out of the olives. We got the picture, right? Now, this detail is so important. It is not a coincidence that Jesus goes to this garden of the oil press. It's not a coincidence, because he comes here with a purpose. And this detail is important because in Isaiah 53, this is another picture from another angle, the scripture says, it was the Lord's, what kind of plan? It was God's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. 
What? A good plan? To crush Jesus? Like an olive gets crushed between two heavy stones? Doesn't make any sense, isn't it? Now, like I said, this is not a coincidence. Just like an olive, Jesus comes to the Garden of Gethsemane to be crushed under pressure and to suffer grief as a crucial part of the Lord's good plan, not lousy plan. Good plan of redemption. In addition, we also believe something very important. If you've been in church for a while, you will know that we believe Jesus was both God, 100%, and also a human being, 100%. He was both in his fullness. Now, his divinity is powerful. All the stories of God, Jesus doing all these miracles because he's got, it's pretty cool. And they can be impressive. But honestly, I am more impressed with his humanity, how he was 100% human. Because I'm more encouraged by, by, for, because of his humanity. For example, in this passage, we can see Jesus here says expressing grief. He expresses anguish. He expresses all these emotions. Oh, no, it's not working. Here we go. You get so many. Here we go. Uh, disappointment. He is expressing betrayal. He's expressing abandonment as a human being. So when you feel all those things, it's not that you're a bad human. No, no, no. You're a human being. So he's fully human expressing, this is how I feel. But what is amazing about this is then how he processes. You see, these are very real and crushing human emotions. But Jesus neither denies his emotions. He's not denying anything that is happening. But also, on the other extreme, he's not losing control not letting his emotions run his life. He has a perfect balance. Because all human beings, when we ex experience something and we have emotions about it, we can either go deny emotions or just go crazy with them. Very few of us know how to be emotionally healthy, just like Jesus is going to show us here. He processes them. It's amazing how Jesus honors those emotions he takes personally personal responsibility for each one of them he doesn't get stuck or lost because of his emotions he knows where to go with his emotions and that's what we need to learn from him that's something very powerful about jesus so i love this um this quote that we're going to read in a minute but another important detail is that in, 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 in Gethsemane, it, it, as Jesus is part of the Trinity. We know that, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus always has been in agreement with the Father. That's one of the, 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 the important uh, things about the Trinity. Jesus never disagrees with the Father. They have this relationship of unity and agreement. And Jesus, in the fullness of his human flesh, in this story, we see with the purest of motives and reverence, he pleads. He pleads with God to remove, right, the cup of suffering. We read that, right? Three times. Not once, but three times. Three times. And, 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 and three times is important because it shows that this is not just a fluke. This is not just something, that, a minor detail. Jesus went through this three times because it reveals that Jesus truly provides his followers with victory over the power 
of the flesh. It's very important. We celebrate on Easter the resurrection, right? Good Friday, we celebrate the cross. But I can tell you, we don't have resurrection, we don't have a cross, if we don't have a garden of Gethsemane. We wouldn't have power over death, then we have celebrate Easter. We wouldn't have the power over sin with the death of Christ in the cross if we don't have Jesus fighting that battle in Gethsemane over the power of the flesh. That was the battle that Jesus fought for you and me, the battle over the flesh, over what I want and what God wants, then allows him to be the perfect lamb of God that was resurrected three days later. So this is very important. I love what Nancy Guthrie says here. This is, here is the hope we find in catching this glimpse into Gethsemane. Here we discover that it really is possible to overcome our own wants, to push through them into glad surrender. And as we are joined to Jesus by faith, his perspective begins to shape our perspective. His power begins to flow into us and through us. We discover that by His Spirit, He is actually changing what we want. What? Yes, He does. We begin to enjoy an inner strength and rest, a firm confidence that whatever God asks us to endure is purposeful. We begin to truly believe that the joy of surrendering to His will is going to be worth whatever it may cost. We trust that as our will is lost in His, we will not ultimately lose out. Wow. You don't see this preached very often. But that is so crucial. Now, if we play a game of the prize is right, right, um, and here it is, how much does it cost a bottle of olive oil? No matter what you tell some of you, oh, it's exactly like $12, or oh, Whole Foods is $15, what inflation is like $18. No, 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 no. Whatever you tell me, you're going to get it wrong. Because if you really want to know what that bottle of olive oil cost, you need to add the olive. Isn't it? For the olive knows it cost everything. In order to secrete those precious drops of oil, the flesh had to be crushed and come under great pressure. And the more pressure is applied in that oil press, the more oil is released. You see, from the very beginning, the Father's plan is to bring His beloved Son to a place of pressing so that the fullness of His glory hidden in Him, in His flesh, may come out of Him. That is so important. Bishop T.D. J. said once, the greater the pressure, the greater the treasure. That's a bad impersonation of him, that's for sure. But what is that treasure? The greater the pressure, the greater the treasure, and that treasure is the glory of Christ. You see, as we endure the pressure of the things that you and I suffer, I don't know what you're going through. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you're going through something very difficult. And you're wondering why. And you need to hear from God. There is a treasure in all these things that you're going through. That pressure that you're enduring is going to produce something great. It's the glory of Christ coming out of all this pain that you're going through. That's why the Apostle Paul declares this. Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 17. Together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share what? We're going to suffer like he did. We need to learn how to suffer like the way that he does. And as we follow him, with every time that we go through a trial or suffering or something difficult, we have an opportunity to be transformed, to reveal his glory, and to become more and more like Jesus. And in reality, is we suffer well when we believe that in our crushing and suffering, we're not being ignored or damaged. Because that's what many people kind of think, that we're being ignored, that we are being damaged. Oh, yes, here we go. Hello, is that better? Okay, so, yeah, many of us, many of us, when life goes the wrong way, we think that God is ignoring us, that God is not really paying attention. But instead, we trust God that in each one of our trials, as we surrender to God's ways to restore and reveal his masterpiece on us, we are being transformed into the glorious image of Christ. So you put, you fill the blank and whatever. Why am I going through this horrible fill the blank? Why am I going through this pain? Why am I going through this? And it might sound very simplistic, but God is transforming you. God is doing something greater in you. Whatever the enemy intends to do to harm you, God is using it to transform you, to shape more Jesus in you. And that's the reality of following Christ. That's what we sign up when we say we will follow you. Now, let's get very practical on this, okay? Uh, because I think sometimes we can get lost in all the theology on this. And, uh, but this is how many of us see our lives, right? Right from the bottom to the top, all the way to the right, and going always up, right? So that's what the promise that we have. When you follow Christ, everything is going to be straight up and to the right. The problem with this theory is that just like Jesus said, in this life, we will suffer. And our lives actually look more like this, ups and downs. And there are certain spots in our journey with, with Christ that is, is going to be challenging. So every of those times are going to be very important. Yes, we can experience good times, right? All of us have experienced good times. And it's fun. We want to stay there. But life doesn't stay in good times. Because all of us, at, once, at some point, we're going to start suffering. Something is going to happen. Whether if it's our own doing, and sometimes, and most of the times, something that happens outside of our own realm of actions. Something is, but still, we go through a difficult time. Now, I'm not talking about traffic jams. I'm not talking about, oh, I don't have Wi-Fi reception here. You know, this is like so hard. No, I'm not talking about that. Those are mini trials. Okay, I know you feel like you're going to die, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an intense level of suffering when we actually end up in a crisis. And it can be a faith crisis, a hope crisis, a love crisis. You, you end up really, it, it, it can be going through a relational breakup. It may be, yes, a divorce, a job loss, the death of a loved one. 
uh, cancer diagnosis or another sickness and it's kind of scary, the betrayal of a close friend, uh, a shattered dream, something that you wanted in your life and it's not happening, a wayward child, a tragic accident, inability to get pregnant, and, and, and many of you know that pain, a dryness or loss of joy in our relationship with God, and I have to be honest, well, sometimes we go through those. I mean, all those are painful. Even the more crazy ones. Yes, the trauma caused by the action or inaction of those in the spiritual authority. That stuff is hard. It's painful. So what do we do with all those? I mean, a crisis will eventually lead us to a dark place. And many of you in this journey here in the church, you've been looking at the materials of Peter Scazzaro, right? So Pete says this. And when he comes, he calls actually that stage, we, we hit a wall. He calls it the wall. And he defines the wall in emotionally healthy spirituality like this. For most of us, the wall appears through a crisis and turns our world upside down. We question ourselves, God, the church. We discover for the first time that our faith does not appear to work. We have more questions than answers as the very foundation of our faith feels like it is on the line. We don't know where God is, what He is doing, where He is going, how He's going to get us there, or when this will be all over. Does that sound familiar? Have you been in a wall before? <laughs> Many times I've been. And as humans, we are in shock. We are confused when we hit a wall, right? And one of our obviously, obvious, and I would say natural reactions is to be in denial. We want to go back to the good times, right? And in denial, we create this false image of strength and faith when in reality we're weak, we're doubtful, we're hurting. And to make matters worse, teaching that suppress or ignore suffering are very popular, especially in the Pentecostal or charismatic circles. I mean, we say, oh, yeah, yeah. How you, God is good all the time, all the time God is good. And, you know, you just, like, you just name it and you just, things are going to go away. And, and all this stuff all, then, then kind of uh, tricked us into denying our emotions and what we're going through. We saw that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus didn't deny his emotions. He just didn't hope that, okay, I just need to think in heaven right now. I need to go to my happy place right now. I need to go. To, no, he didn't do any of that stuff. He didn't deny his emotions. He faced, honored his emotions, right? Now, again, I love how Pete says it here in uh, another book. We tend to emphasize joyfulness, overcoming obstacles, and being strong in Christ. We are told to rejoice even when we're sad or angry. And we are certainly not to share our fears. Since the Bible is filled with commands not to fear. We might even consider these emotions to be practically synonyms of sin. We hope that by suppressing and ignoring them, they might somehow disappear. But in doing so, we are a long way from the example of Jesus who offered up fervent cries and tears to his heavenly Father. You see, that's not the way of Jesus. Those emotions then are sins. Those emotions are just a sign that you're human. And you're hurting. Then God is doing something in your life. And he's inviting us to let him work in our hearts. Now, suppressing or ignoring our emotions is not a healthy way 
is not the way that Jesus suffered. It will not heal the trauma caused by our suffering. And perhaps in some situations we don't heal because we keep pretending that we're not hurt. How are you going to heal if you keep pretending that there's something off? Now, another unhealthy response, yeah, one is denial. Another one is distrust. And sadly, that's what, that's what has become very popular nowadays, completely distrust, which creates many opportunities to lose control of our emotions. And this is when we allow our feelings to run our lives. That's the other extreme. This mindset, sets, this mindset starts with like mild forms of um, doubt, um, skepticism. Um, there is a little bit of um, distrust, of course, uh, cynicism. There's a sense of despondency. Uh, and I would say even uh, beginning of depression. I mean, all those stuff is started to happen. They all can be in this area of distrust. And what ends up happening when we live there, eventually you end up in a place where you just simply give up. You just say, forget it. You give up on people. We give up on our faith community. We give up on our calling. And some of us, in the midst of so much space, we even give up on our faith and on God. See, some of you know someone who took this path after suffering so much pain, and God didn't answer their prayer. You probably know someone like that. They say, well, if this is going to be how it's going to be, and you're not going to do what I thought you would do, God, then you must not be who I thought you were. So forget it, God. I'm out. Or they will say to the church, oh, you know, forget it. I mean, you church people, you're the worst. So I love Jesus, but I hate the church. And there's many people living that way, distrust, and they give up. Now, personally, I had, I would say, two major, major walls in my life. If you look at my life, there's two major walls. And, man, um, the major one was probably with my second son who is now 20 years old he was diagnosed with autism and man it was pretty shocking for us it was really hard um and um there was a lot of confusion and there was times when it was difficult to learn how to control my emotions i was all over the place i was more in this distrust area Part of his denial, I couldn't be there because I'm kind of honest. I have this thing I need to, really need to be honest. It's something in me. So, but distrust was a, a more natural way for me to deal with this, to process what I was going through. I was suffering wrong. I remember even just like going crazy in certain things in, in, in my mind. And, but the good news is that God used that wall to show me that we only suffer well when we're willing to follow Jesus where something has to die. Because that's the other place. You don't need to live in denial. You don't need to live in distrust. Actually, if you want to know how to suffer well, Jesus is going to give us the answer. We follow Jesus where something in us has to die. And what he had to die on me that day as I tried to process what was happening to my son so I had to die to the dreams that every dad has of how life is going to be with a son that doesn't have the disabilities that my son has. I had to die to that. 
Now, when it comes to this, we find a very popular verse in Scripture that sometimes we take out of context, and this is exactly, this teaching is the exact context of this verse. Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, surrender your will, surrender your plans, forget about your ideas, and take up your cross daily. Follow me to where something has to die in you. And follow me there. Wow. That's where it gets really hard, isn't it? Let's be honest. It is hard. Following Christ is not about denying or avoiding suffering. It's about giving up our own way. And the way that I have called this place, I call it a sacred pit. Sacred pit. Why is a sacred pit? Well, it's a pit because it's a cave to bury and grieve what's dead. It is sacred. Because that's where God's presence shines like no other time in our lives. This is where God brings supernatural comfort, peace, love. And this is where in that deep place, dark place, is where God does his best work of transformation in our souls and in our hearts. It's really powerful. Another thing I was very afraid about my son was his future, living with a disability. How he's going to survive. This world can be so cruel. I was not going, not even just stopping in, oh, he's going to get bullied. He's going to do all these things. He's going to suffer. I was thinking, how is this going to go when we're gone? Who's going to take care of him? And I was consumed by all those thoughts, dreams and fears, and had to die. Both the dreams and the fears. They needed to die in that place, in that sacred pit. Now, wonderful things happen there. There's a lot of transformation. And I'm running out of time, but this is where God really confronts us. It's not like, like we're suffering and God is like, ha, 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 I got you. Now, I'm gonna, now you need to work on you. And it's like, no, that's not God. He says, Fernando, now that you're in this vulnerable place, now, let me show you things in you that do not look like Jesus. Sometimes we cannot hear those things when we are up in the, in the, in the good times. But it's when we're in the lower times, when our focus is, I can't believe this is happening to me. This is, I can't believe they did this to me. I can't believe this. God, why I'm sick. What, all those things. I said, God, why can't I learn about me right now? Why is it in me that it does not look like Things like, talks like Jesus in, this moment, in my life right now. And that's what God in his love comes. Fernando, the, your anxiety, I want to heal you from that. Would you give me that? Would you die to that? You know, Fernando, you, you're, you're always trying to keep things on your control. You've, you've, you think that because if you have this, and you can say, dictate how life goes, you're going to be at peace. Fernando, you need to die because you cannot control people's situations. Would you give me that? And he was there in that sacred pit during that time. And, I was, and, and there's a whole list of things. 
our pride, our greed, our comforts, our anger, our wrath. Somebody called it spirit gluttony. It's choosing comfort and safety over sacrifice. That hurts. Spiritual envy. That's comparing with others and feeling unhappy when others do well. Sloth. Running away from hard decisions to hide behind temporary and shallow good feelings. He said, like greed, avarice, being discontent with the spiritual limits God gives us and wanting more. Especially with Christians, we want more ministry success, we want more spiritual success. And that's not what God wants most of the times. You see, some of us, we're not aware of the flaws on those areas because we don't like to do this kind of self-evaluation objectively. It's only when we go through hard times that we can slow down stop and look at it and the good news is that God is there not to condemn us not to shame us but to heal us to transform us don't miss that opportunity those of you that are going right now through something very difficult a crisis don't miss that opportunity the destruction is going to be there to live in denial to be in distrust and to start feeding those feelings of distrust but allow the Holy Spirit to lead you into a place and to show you what things need to die, what things you need to surrender to Him. In what circumstances you can say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And believe me, it's amazing how God shows up. And the miracles that God does in those places, it's powerful. There, there, you know, there we can use our suffering as an opportunity to humble ourselves and to let God search our heart and reveal areas where the flesh is still ruling in our lives. Because there's still areas, if you're honest, right, where the flesh is still rules. We don't want to, but they do. Now, that sacred pit is where we finally listen, where we lay down our lives and where Jesus helped us to die, to grieve, to surrender again until we rule the flesh. That's why Jesus told the disciples, hey, why can't you do this for an hour? He said, the mind is willing, the spirit is willing, right? But the flesh is what? It's weak. He even acknowledges that. Not to shame us, but to train us, to show us. This is how you gain power over your own flesh. By surrendering, by dying to your own desires. This is the treasure. But if, and if you submit to that kind of hard work, what the reward and is waiting on the other side, because you're going to get out of that pit, is going to be a much Christ-like version of you. When you, after the time goes on and that crisis is over, people around you that know you well, they will say, man, you're not the same person. Woman, you're not the same lady. Something in you is different. There's more of Jesus in you. That's the purpose of our sufferings. Now, please, don't miss this. Jesus knew that his suffering and death was necessary to get that treasure. That kind of treasure. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says this. For the joy set before him. Oh, I missed that. Let me see. Let me go forward here because we just went through this. And it didn't click on these slides. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. For the joy set before him, what? He endured it. 
for the joy. He was able not to focus on the pit. He was able to focus what is after this crisis. For the joy waiting on the other side. For the reward of you being more like Christ. Going through this thing. That's why you endure. That's where the source of strength comes from. The treasure is right in front of us. The problem is in that treasure is hidden in that sacred pit. And this is what we do. In our journeys, what we do is, is we just want to avoid those things. We want to find a way to build a little bridge so we don't have to go to that sacred pit and endure that suffering. Now, if you think that way, welcome to the club. I'm part of that club. I love that. I want to avoid suffering. Who lies to suffering? So if we're learning, then, well, in order to suffer well, we're going to learn how to follow Jesus to somewhere when things have to die. We need to also deal with the fear of going into certain places. I love this quote from Joseph Campbell. He says, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure that you seek. The problem of always avoiding sacred pits is that you're missing what you want the most. And you're wondering, how come my life with Christ is not as rewarding as it's supposed to be? Sometimes we're missing those sacred We're doing everything possible to not go down there. So um, I'll have to be honest. Uh, it, this is hard. We follow Jesus where something in us has to die. We follow Jesus despite our fear of suffering. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. What a different mindset, isn't it? Oh, no, I don't want, I want to follow Jesus because I don't want ever to suffer. You're in the wrong business. But when you're able to pray, Lord, I want to follow you so I can learn how to suffer. So in the midst of my suffering, I find the treasure. is you developing in me that oil that is going to bless the world. And that oil can only be produced when I'm in the middle of crushing and pain and suffering. That's what is going to bless the nation. That's what is going to bless my family. That's what is going to bless my marriage. That's what is going to bless my business. That's what is going to bless my ministry. Is by going through this. Now, what is a reality of all this is and is not an easy, an easy thing. Hi, my name is Fernando, and I struggle with algophobia. And it's the fear of pain and suffering. We don't want that. Who wants it? Who wants to do that? That would be actually weird, right? But when it comes to following Christ, Jesus, from the very beginning, remember the first verse that we read, in this world you will experience pain, suffering, trials, but be of good cheer. I have conquered the world. He's showing us that this is the way. You know, fear avoidance is one of my defaults, probably is yours as well. And, and this is, this is um, reinforced by a culture uh, that is obsessed with avoiding pain and suffering at all costs, isn't it? However... As I have followed Jesus for more now than 40 years, I must confess that every time I went through a sacred pit, every single time Jesus set me free for what he used to hold me back before I entered into that sacred pit. 
I was much better after each one of those. I was more like Christ after each one of those. There in those sacred pits is where I met Jesus, my provider, which you, some of you haven't met before. That in a sacred pit is when I met Jesus, my comforter. This is where I met the lover of my soul. This is where I found the shepherd of my soul. And every sim single time I came out of a sacred pit, I was a different person. I was more like Jesus. It was less of me. And I found that treasure there. But still, I'm scared of the sacred pit that may be waiting for me next week or next month or next year. It's not easy. That's why we need each other. And that's why I love what the church is doing, bringing all of you together to encourage one another. Because a life that is lived, learning how to suffer well, needs God's presence, the right information, and awesome people around us to help us and encourage us. You are in a good place. I'm scared of the next cave that I have to go in. Lord, I know there is a treasure at the end of this sacred pit but why do I have to die again to what I want has anybody asked that to God before why do I have to lay down my life and my rights is there any other way to bypass this does that sound familiar Jesus said that right so you see when you think that way you're not a bad Christian Actually, you're a very human being. And Jesus, that's why I'm telling you, Jesus blows me away with his humanity. He's showing us the compassion that he has for us when we go through difficult things. He's there for us. One of my now favorite writers, uh, he's amazing, uh, John Mark Comer. He's a pastor up in Portland area. He says this, why is it that we resist crucifying our desires? Why is this God level either resistance to Jesus' call to die? Is it not necessarily because we are evil or even narcissistic? It's because we are scared. We are scared of losing something that we value. Something that we think or feel we need to live a happy life. But until we come to a place of deep trust, then what God wants for us is only our deepest happiness. And that what we actually want, the desire beneath all these other desires is God himself, we will fight to control our lives. We will continue to think that we know better than God that will, what will lead to our happiness. And we will chase the wind and reap the whirlwind. Sorry, I missed that clip. But yes, we have to be aware of that. Not because we're bad people, because we're human. I want to be more like the Apostle Paul when he says, man, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm getting closer. So how do we suffer well? We follow Jesus where something in us has to die. We follow Jesus despite our fear of suffering. We follow Jesus where we sit and wait until he is done. Now, I just want to close um, because I, the last part is, the last statement, we follow Jesus where we sit and wait until he is done. How many of you struggle with patience? We're human, right? Folks, this is where probably you need the most help, right? 
because this is where we need to sit and wait until he's done. So many times in a pit, you say, okay, God, I'm ready. I'm done. Thank you for all the work that you're doing. Take me out of this pit now, right? And God says, no, there's still more work to do. There's still more work to do. And we stay there. Um, but this is where the true treasure is here. And I want us to close. This, um, this is how we thought life was going to be with following Christ. But in reality, it looks more like this, right? It's a series of ups and downs. But ultimately, we end up in a much better place with Jesus. So we cannot deceive ourselves thinking that following Christ is going to be all rainbows and fluffy clouds, eating marshmallows and donuts every single day, and nothing happens, you know? No, life is hard, but be of good cheer. Jesus is with you. Now, the last thought I that I have about this is when you think about, think about that press. Think about your life, whatever it is that you're going through. I don't know what kind of sacred pit you're into right now. It might be a very tiny one. It may be a deep one. Maybe you're a lucky person right now and says, oh, no, I'm good. Everything is good. I'm in good times. Praise God. The only question is not if you are in one, is when you're going to be in one. Because life is going to take you again to a place like that. Disappointment will come in many ways. But for those of you that are right now in a pit, I know the feeling. Jesus knows the feeling. Remember when Jesus is there and he's going in, in the garden and he's going to the Father, God, would you please change this plan? Take me out of here. And the answer is no. And then he goes to his friends and would you please pray for me? Help me out. And they're sleeping. You, many of you, when you're going through difficult times, this is what happens. You go to God and say, God, please help me. And the answer is, no, you have to wait. I'm doing something. I'm not going to take you out of this. And then you go to your friends, pastors, whoever. And say, can you help me out here? He says, no, we're not. And that pressure starts to close in. Right? And then you go back to God. Okay, God, this is... God, please have mercy. And the wall keeps coming down. And the crush. And you go to people again. Maybe, maybe I go to another church. Maybe they will help me there. And no, we cannot. And then the pressure is more. And the crisis is intensifying. The pain is harder. The crush is more and more. But every single time in the case of Jesus, Lord, not my will, but your will to be done. Many of you are in that world. You're caught in between God saying, not yet, my beloved. And people saying, there's nothing I can do to help. And you're just by yourself. In that olive press. Being crushed. But never forget that is in that crushing. Then that oil that God deposited inside of you from the very beginning. When he created a masterpiece of you. Is now being released. It is out of that pain that the greatest treasure that the world needs, that your family needs, that your marriage needs, that your children needs, that your grandchildren need. 
is coming from suffering well. So my encouragement to you, Faith, you're an amazing church. You have a long history of many things. The best days for you are yet to come. And the day, best days for you personally, my dear friend, my dear brother, my dear sister, the best days are yet to come. But praise yourself. Trust God. Trust God with all of your heart. Whatever you need to die to, have the courage to do it. Die to it. Let go of that control or anything that God points out in your life. Keep following Him there in that sacred pit when things need to die. And as you are there, let God transform you and wait until He does His work. I guarantee you, on the other side, there's a much better version of you waiting for you. It's the version that your spouse would say, oh, this is awesome. Your children would say, oh my gosh, look at this. Your friends would be, what in the world happened to you? You used to be this kind of person. We love you, but still, now look at you. There's an oil that has been crushed out of you. An anointing, very special anointing that only comes when you learn how to suffer well. And that's my blessing to you as I pray for you today. Is that okay? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for these precious people here in San Diego at Faith Community Church. Lord, I pray for his pastors. Father, I pray for his leaders. Everybody here with a mantle of a spiritual authority as well. For those that are here, you are to be blessed and to serve. Father, for our brothers and sisters, we are all part of the community the family of God, the community of God. Father, I bless them as my brothers and sisters. As they go through different sacred pits in their lives, Father, I just bless them. Whatever that sacred pit looks like, whatever that name of that pit for them is. For those that are dealing with health issues, for those that are dealing with physical illness, mental issues, emotional issues, I pray, Lord, that in the sacred pit of that pain and suffering, you will reveal your healing power, your restoring power. Father, for those that are in financial need, Father, I pray that you will reveal your provision power. Father, for those that are suffering, Lord, because there's a loss, loss of dreams, a loss of uh, perspective on the future, a loss of a passion for things that they used to love and, and, and care for. Father, I pray that you will restore those dreams, that you will restore that passion. And Father, then out of this pit, it will be a more Jesus-centered brother and sister waiting on the other side because you have been doing your work in the sacred pit in their hearts. I bless this church, Lord God, with more of you. Father, then everyone here, will be able to come to those crucial moments and say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And I pray that blessing, Lord Jesus, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. God bless you.